0: Welcome to episode 4 of The Hidden Life. Thank you so much for joining and as always, I truly appreciate it. Today on the show, I have YouTube travel documentary maker Carl Watson. I spoke to Carl about his recent Vietnam series, the Japanese series, which is my personal favorite, and much more. I really hope you enjoy this as much as I did. (laughs) we are back with another episode of the hidden life today we have a very special guest carl welcome to the show cheers mate good to be on here no good to have you man uh let's let's jump straight into it um so, for those who don't know you, uh, can you give us a quick introduction about yourself, your background, and uh, essentially how you got to this to this point today?
1: Um, sure. So, my name's Carl Watson. I've got a YouTube channel of travel documentaries, which is very simply called Carl Watson Travel Documentaries. Um, I've been running the channel for a few, about five years now, and uh, it's recently just gone past the hundred k subscriber mark um but I've been working in video for nearly 13 years and I started filming my travels about the same time and it was just uh just absolutely more fun to edit than the stuff I was working on professionally and also have something creative to do whilst I was away have a good souvenir of the trip and then so it was always just a side hobby but then I started putting them online as a way of just sharing it with friends and family and it just it just started taking off so there was never never a huge plan but it just all kind of grew in front of me and that's and now I'm here talking to you today. So <laughs>
0: there you go. Oh, cool. Yeah. I mean, thank you. Like I said, thanks for being here. Um, we're going to get into a couple of, uh, of your series a bit later on the Vietnam series, Japan, et cetera. Um, but we've got to start with the obvious, uh, the lockdown. Um, <laughs> yeah. what, what is it that you have been struggling with most during the lockdown you reckon?
1: Uh, that's a good question. Um, sometimes it was, it's staying motivated. Um, I think the first two weeks were the hardest. It was just mm. sort of the it was the the uncertainty of everything. No one knew what was going to happen, how long this was going to go on for. And then you just kind of got into rhythm, and it was uh, it was better. But the first two weeks, I was like kind of struggling to sleep, and um, uh, so I just had a good plan of like, well, if I have a few few beers in the evening, then I'll fall asleep. <laughs> <laughs> but um, uh, but now it's more like once everything got set in place, like because my income even though i have this youtube channel all my income comes from freelancing as a video editor yeah and so that's something i can easily work on at home but all the supply dried up like because no one was making videos so all my income dried up but then the government put some safety nets in um, i managed to get myself a mortgage holiday so once i knew i could sort of stay afloat through the lockdown then i was like okay this is Um, for a completely selfish point of view when you ignore ignore all those sort of death and financial destruction around the world it was (laughs) like right i've now got time to work on all the things i've wanted to do so that's been good and now it's just now that the safety nets are sort of going away because we're coming out of it it's just whether the work will start picking up or not so that's the true test is sort of the come but it should be all right i'm
0: starting to get some bits and pieces in yeah and um are you keeping fit at all have you been able
1: to get uh, yes well if you if you could draw a graph of my sort of fitness and weight through this thing so my weight would have just gone up and up and up and <laughs> up and up and then four weeks ago i got a a fitbit um nice and uh and basically since then it's gone uh i've got i've gotten the best shape i've been in a long time just because i could quantify everything like mm. uh, quantify the exercise you're doing but also i've been putting in all the food that i'm doing and it's 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 been one of those things. About like the last three years, we mean to get back in shape, and sort of weights has been all over the place. And then, of course, everything's on lockdown. That's going to be it. But then you just start eating junk food when you're at home and just drinking beers because you're bored. Yeah. But um, but the last four weeks, it's been good. But you'll see. I've I've got a. Um, uh, side note, I've got a, a masterclass coming out I've been filming about how to make a travel video and I was yeah. filming that all during lockdown and <laughs> if people who watch the series will just see me gradually getting fatter and hair
0: getting longer and <laughs> slowly looking like I'm losing the will to live. But, uh, but yeah, the last few weeks have been good. Well, that's good. Good to hear. I mean, um, you know, I, I think everybody has been exactly the same. The beginning of the lockdown, they've, you know, they were taking it quite easy, you know, spending a lot of time with family. Um, trying to figure out what we're what that we are going to do at home. Um, so I think for the first week, we can, we can you know, let, let people off a little bit by just yeah. eating loads of good food, cooking loads at home. And then eventually people were realizing like, hey, gyms and, and these places are not going to be opening up soon. So we need to try and, you know, maintain our weight and our diet. And But it's good. I think, yeah. you know, the healthier we are, you have a um, more of a creative mindset as well. So for sure. For sure um yeah you're in your new flat now how long how long have you been in the new flat and how's that going for you i've
1: been in this flat for 11 months now um so it's the first time i've owned a place and um yeah i absolutely love it i mean if lockdown happened last year when i was in the process of moving out it would have been a nightmare i mean i probably would have just stayed in that flat with my old mate chris or something but so i was kind of lucky that i'd uh moved in got settled in i had new carpets put in the week before lockdown happened um so i got like the only thing that needs doing now is that the kitchen needs a facelift um but so it's i kind of before lockdown happened i got the whole place set up how i want looking how i want and i you know i love it to death and it's sort of Especially because I'm living by myself, it's like well, I can just mm. make it look however I want. I have to. I'm not going to compromise one bit. So it's it's a little bit man cavey, but hopefully not too much. But, uh, but it's been it's sort of it's been a nice place to be locked down, basically.
0: Yeah. Now that's. I, I was going to ask how how does it look? You know, is it very um, bachelor pad looking, or do you try it's and kind of, keep it? I
1: mean, as a podcast, this isn't going to help you uh, help <laughs> the audience, but I can just going to all the wires going to come out. Um, yeah, I've got to, behind me. I've got canvas, print some travels and stuff um i uh well they're going on sale aren't they i'm going to yeah so i'm going to be building up the, well one of my things on my to-do list i'm working through is sort of building up a merchandise store and there'll be some i used to have like a couple of designs of t-shirts that we sold a few of but i'm going to redesign those but also put canvas prints up um maybe make some photo books from some of the trips and things um but in terms of the flat as well i used to own like hundreds if not thousands of dvds and cds and stuff mm. i used to have a lot of junk but then when i did my round the world trip in 2013 the hong kong to new york series which is like nine months living out a backpack i got home and i was just like i don't need most of this crap i'm so used to living out a bag so i got rid of like three quarters of my stuff um digitized all my dvds um and i've just kept a small i've got a shelf full of some blu-rays and dvds that has all this like geeky memorabilia on and I got a shelf in the bedroom with just some CDs and records that'll never get played again because it'll digitize, but it's just sort of the ones that have sent the mental no value. But they, those little shelves kind of contain it so that it has to fit on that shelf. So the rest of the flat can't get filled with geeky crap. It's got to fit on what I call the geek
0: shelf. So, yeah. Well, you've actually added to that geek shelf. I mean, we'll get into that a bit later when yeah, we yeah, talk yeah. Japan. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but uh, yeah, I mean, it's like you said, it's good memorabilia to have and it's nice to be able to share to share that with the fans, you know, and I, I look forward to, to when you do release the, the canvas paintings and things. Um,
1: yeah. yeah it's, 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 sort of, a lot of the places uh, I've been um, it's, and I'm not saying this to be modest, but sometimes people see the photos and go, wow, that's you're an amazing photographer. It's like, actually, it's just, as long as you know, the basics of composition, these places are so beautiful. Like, uh, you just got to point and click you know like a yeah. a real a true great photographer will take a picture of a bland room and make it look like art but i'm just going to awesome places and i know how to frame a picture <laughs> <just enjoy> then
0: <that. laughs> I, I mean my a friend of mine um who also does uh, photography uh, he gets so angry with me when whenever i'm trying to take a picture of him you know i'm i've just got the iphone pro but you would yeah. just standard take out the phone and, and snap a photo right um, yeah. but no not not with him he, he starts getting out another camera he wants me to put the flashlight on on his camera and it's coming <laughs> from all sorts of angles and i'm saying so, hey i mean you're you're the expert i i get it you know you it's there's some sort of sense of perfection with with these sort of crafts and you know and i admire things like that you know it's it's why we watch like uh things like your master class that is coming up and um yeah is that is that only going to be about film uh, videography or are you also going to be talking about photography? It's just
1: just videography. Um, so it's basically, it's, I mean, the working title is how to make a travel video, but we're going to try and come up with something a bit more zingy than that. <laughs> but that's the basic gist of it. Um, but it's just sort of filmmaking one-on-one. So it's like suggestions on cam- what cameras to use, for different budgets, how to actually use the camera, how to like co- shot composition, how to talk to camera um how to plan your trip to make a good video and then all the post-production from editing audio music um the lot so it's quite a lot it's like five and a half hours worth of video lessons so it's quite quite comprehensive but the hard bit with it was is like how far do you go Cause you, i'm sort of teaching people from scratch but then there'll be people who are watching it who know the basics will want to upgrade mm-hmm. but then you you don't want to go on forever about the same bit because otherwise the course will just be like months and months long so it's yeah. sort of uh hopefully we've got the balance right of sort of like you know not too basic for everyone but not too complicated for the beginners
0: yeah and how, how long do you think it might be the the uh, total duration no, it's
1: it's, yeah, it's five and a half hours okay. so there's, there's like uh 20 different videos or maybe at like 25 because one of them split into five um and some of them are like 10 minutes long and um uh some of them are like 45 minutes long especially the editing ones where i'll just mm. sit down with like uh, a scene and i'll just dissect it and talk through it so those ones are a bit longer but if i'm just explaining the theory i just sort of it's just me talking for a few minutes
0: like this is what you need to know and yeah right now now go film some stuff and come back i <laughs> so, mean if you if you think about it you've kind of given us previews already because most of your documentaries are are really long i mean i, I, yeah. I apologize i don't mean really long but i meant longer i don't mean. yeah yeah, yeah.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And it's, um, but it's, it's like, it's like anything, uh, with movies or whatever that film should be as long as they need to be. So, you know, if you've only got 10 minutes worth of story, don't tell a three hour, don't make a three hour video. Um, uh, whilst if you've got an amazing story that can keep people engaged for that long, then, you know, go for it. Um, and so just with the lessons, it was like, well, I've still got plenty more to explain. So this lesson will be longer whilst other ones, Um, you can just keep it pretty brief and short. Yeah.
0: Um, before we get into the Vietnam series, um, one last question on lockdown, what's the one, one thing you've learned about yourself that you didn't know before, before lockdown? Uh, that's a bloody good question. (laughs) Um,
1: uh, well, it's kind of confirmed just how terrible I am at cooking,
0: um, (laughs) the kitchen Uh, looks very clean
1: (laughs) yeah the kitchen it's yeah it's not bad i I mean i like to keep the kitchen clean but uh yeah i've tried out a couple of like new recipes and it didn't taste too bad but my kitchen looked like a war zone afterwards Tonight i was cooking such a basic thing so um but i guess i guess well recently with the fitness stuff it's um you know once you do get into routine of it you do start enjoying it um and in terms of like going for runs, like I've gone from hating running to just <laughs> really, really disliking it. So it's sort yeah. of slight, slight improvement. <laughs> I still
0: don't enjoy it, but I don't hate it. So it's sort of this progress there. It's an improvement nonetheless. I mean, yeah. okay. So you haven't tried to recreate any of the, the dishes you've tried on your travels at home. I know. I mean,
1: I've, uh, I've, I've been sent, uh, my friend Shu, she does uh, travel films and yeah, yeah, food vlogs it. and she was on my Morocco trip, uh, she sent me a couple of recipes, I did a, I did a basic uh, noodle one she sent me and then there's a, a couple others I'm going to start trying, um, I was going to do them last week but I had a, actually had to work in, had a busy week so I think uh, next week I'll sort of, yeah, we'll see what happens to the kitchen but I'll try out some, <laughs> try out some new things next week.
0: Well, we look forward to that. I mean, hopefully, you can <laughs> um, crack up some some something delicious. Yeah, yeah. I'll just post it on Instagram with me, just pretending it tastes good. So, <laughs> um, you've made some incredible videos in your time, um, you know, and it's quite clear that each one just seems to get better and better. Cheers. Your, your most recent one, easily some of your best work, the Vietnam series, has uh, finally gone up now. Um, so, first of all, I think congratulations has to be in order because it's absolutely epic
1: cheers mate appreciate that yeah
0: um you know i i I wrote here that i i was trying to figure out the the words to describe it but i've got i've got down here i think it's a wonderful crossover between classic carl watson and a great mix of a new modern storytelling kind of carl watson
1: yeah i mean it's sort of it's going back to someone we went on the round the world trip so it is sort of back to the classic backpacking scene because Last year, the most of the travel I did was just press trips just because I was I was buying the flat. So I couldn't mm. – the only way I could – I mean, this is a first world problem for you, but the only way I could <laughs> afford to travel was on free press trips. Um, uh, so I was still – I was very fortunate that I had sort of gotten YouTube to a place that I could still travel. Just, other, But the problem with press trips is it's someone else's itinerary and it's not necessarily the kind of stories you want to tell because uh, it's, it's like – there's only so many times people can watch you staying at a gorgeous hotel and, and they'd much rather see places that they're a place of experience that they're going to do so yeah. so it was nice to get back to that for Vietnam and obviously uh but obviously it's a bit different than what, I, what it would have been seven or eight years ago just because I'm older and enjoy different things um yeah. but that series uh yeah it took a lot of work to edit um I mean the reason it didn't come out because as soon as we hit lockdown, everyone's was like, oh, right, is Vietnam going to be released super quick? And I was like, well, actually, now I've got to... I spent most of my time working on the masterclass and things like that, because that's going to hopefully bring me in plenty of money. Um, mm. uh, so I, was, I sort of treated that as a day job and did Vietnam in the evenings. Um, but it took a lot of work to get. It was kind of funny. I did a live Q&A on my YouTube um, yeah. after the third episode came out. And I was like, oh, has anyone got any questions about the trip or the editing? And I had so many stories about the editing and no one asked about it.
0: They just want to know, like, how much did this cost or want to hear the gossip from the trip or whatever like that. I mean, it leads, it leads quite nicely in, into my next question. I mean, I'll, I'll get to the question I was just about to ask. I'm going <laughs> to ask after, the, after this question. Okay. So how, was, how was it editing a series during lockdown? Would you say that the extra time helped contribute to the extremely high quality end product or is there anything different you would have done in the editing process had it not been locked down?
1: Um, I think I, I think I would have still ended up at the same video. Um, it just, it, it would have just taken even longer without lockdown. But the, the nicest thing about editing it during lockdown is when I was sort of feeling down and shit about everything that was going on. It was just mm. my escape. You know, there's some days I'd wake up, you know, thinking oh, it's to tuesday come on get on with your master class and i was like now i want to go to vietnam so i could just you know even when times are normal and good editing the films is a great escape. escapism you're sort of you're back on the trip and so so sort of being able to um i mean i even mentioned at the end of the third episode when i was editing the second episode we we're in hoi an and we were just sitting in this irish pub having a nice cold pint yeah. which seems like a weird thing to reminisce on a vietnamese trip but I just watched it going, Oh, what I would give to be able to sit outside (laughs) with people there and crowds and a cold pint of beer and stuff like that. Um, uh, So no, it was, it, I think it was just a good escape during lockdown. And, um, you know, I sort of tried to tell everyone online, you know, don't expect this to come out quicker because I've got other stuff to work on. And, and I wanted to get it right. There's no point once the video's out, it's out. So you may as well try and get it as, you know, as good as possible before you release it.
0: Yeah. And was there anything unique about Vietnam that, or that you felt was unique um, that some of the other Southeast Asian countries were either didn't have or were lacking? Um, I think there
1: was certainly a huge variety in sort of landscapes and um, environments from like the beaches to the uh, the mountains and stuff. Like, uh, like when I did that small bit of the Ha Giang Loop, like the scale of the mountains there wasn't, yeah, it was just far bigger than i expected um uh whilst you know, my memories of laos is laos just like the most chilled out place ever you kind of uh you have to sort of get there and give yourself a couple days to slow down into its speed but as for the other ones like thailand and stuff um you know i've only been to those places like once uh so i don't know them it's I went there one Thailand and it was seven years ago and we were doing like the classic backpacker party stuff. So I'd probably have a better answer to that question. Um, if I go back to Thailand and revisit it, because it's sort of, I was, I was doing prioritizing different things in this Vietnam trip than if I did Vietnam, maybe seven years ago. So it'd be, uh, it's, it's harder to do like a fair comparison between different countries when
0: I've experienced them at different times of my life. Yeah. Now, you had, you had actually been to Vietnam before, right? Yeah, so we went there briefly on our round-the-world trip. Um, we
1: came in from China, and we arrived in Hanoi and spent a couple of days there. Then we did the Halong Bay. Um, we did, like, the Castaway Islands, big party thing. And then we went into Laos, down through Laos. Then our plan was to go back to Vietnam and see some more. But we would, um, we would have been going back on ourselves because it was going to be, like, Laos. Vietnam, then Cambodia, then carry on. But yeah. the way the borders work, we would have had to go Laos, Cambodia, Vietnam, Cambodia, and mm. all those journeys and border crossings are such a pain in the ass. Um, they're so slow. So we were just like, oh, let's just save Vietnam for another time and do it properly another time. And so mm. that's kind of basically what that tri- the trip, recent trip was. It's like, right, I'm finally getting back around to doing it.
0: Now, would you say that... Well, let me let me let me question it this way so what would yeah. the a typical day-to-day life in a full-time video editor look like i mean what's your schedule like whilst whilst traveling
1: uh well when traveling um there's no typical day when traveling it's uh every day is different and it depends what whether you're having a more relaxed day or whether you're sort of right today i'm doing a specific activity like going to some caves or whatever um so there's no, there's no specific routine on the road. Um, I'll certainly know when I'll have days where I'm like, right, I'm not going to be filming. I just I give yourself a break from it, um, which I didn't give myself enough of in Vietnam. I think I kept burning myself out. Um, yeah. But you kind, of, you kind of just get used to um, just knowing when to film and when to put the camera away, even just within the moment. Like normally if I show up at a place, let's say we're at a beautiful viewpoint, I'll get the shots that I need. And then I'll put the camera down so I can, you know, remember it with my own eyes kind of thing. Um, But if I sort of saved doing the shots to the end, the whole time I'll just have nagging in the back of my mind, like, oh, you need to get this, you need to get that. So it's like get the filming out of the way and then just chill. Um,
0: So there's no specific um, routines, for example, travel Monday to Friday, sit, chill on Saturday.
1: uh, uh, No, it's more, it's, um, yeah, because like weekends are irrelevant when you're traveling to start with. And, um, it's, and I guess, I guess, cause I'm not like i I'm not a digital nomad or anything like that. I sort of, I, I work back in London and then I go away and do my trip. Um, mm. and I don't really do any of the editing on the trip at all. I'll back up the footage, um, as I go. So it's usually after, you know, after two or three days or after I've just done a really cool day out or activity or something, then I'll yeah. get back to the hostel, back everything up, um, onto two, hard drives that are duplicated um uh but yeah it's 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 one of those things i'd always just try and keep the camera on me unless it, unless i'm on a night out going for some drinks i'll just film stuff on my phone or something cool yeah. happens but i still even if it's a day where i think oh, i'm not filming today i'll still bring my camera with me because the soon the second you leave your camera behind the greatest thing ever will happen just because sod's law so i always just try and keep it on me for something because the unexpected stuff is what yeah. sort of often gives a,
0: a video character as well. So, so besides, I guess the, the, um, odd Instagram post whilst being on your trip, you, you try and keep it relatively t- obviously towards the end of your series so that at least during your trip, you can have a bit of peace and quiet on your downtime and stuff so that you're not editing while traveling.
1: Yeah. Yeah. It's sort of, uh, I want to, uh, basically I want to be enjoying the trip, as much as possible whilst I'm on the trip, um, uh, I sort of, I don't want the video, the filming to sort of get in the way of the fun. Like you want it to be part of the fun, but not a burden on it. And so, yeah. cause I know people who do like weekly vlogs or even daily vlogs, they'll have to spend evenings on the road editing and then trying to upload on hostile fi which could take <laughs> several hours. And so yeah. I rather spend that time socializing and stuff. So I just, yeah, film the trip whilst I'm there,
0: but all the editing gets saved till I get home. I mean, that that's why I asked because, I mean, you, you don't have the, the most consistent Wi-Fi in hostels, so it could be quite tough yeah. for someone who's making an hour-long video. Oh, yeah, it would take like a few months to upload, probably, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And you don't want to burn yourself out even more by stressing, oh, my God, I need to get this this video up because I'm, you know, I'm a vlogger who vlogs every day and it's, yeah. I mean, it kind of suits your travel lifestyle then, which is good. Yeah. yeah. Um, on the topic of consistency, I mean, you... You're incredibly consistent at breaking body parts. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so do you have any other special talents? I mean, what might you have been if you were not a YouTuber? Because I, I was watching some of your, I mean, I watch your videos every day, but the one guy I actually mentioned, he's like, you could be a spokesperson for travel insurance. Travel insurance,
1: yeah. Well, just to explain that for <laughs> people that don't know. So um, uh, I dislocated my shoulder cliff jumping in 2012 in Italy. And then I, and it was always kind of like, um, you know, they saw it the shoulder. It was fine after a few weeks, but it was always kind of a mental scar. Like it was a block sort of, and sometimes when I'd be, you know, it's, um, facing things when I'm really high up, uh, my legs would just suddenly turn to jelly. Um, like things like bungee jumps or skydives were fine because you're supposed to jump. But sometimes when you're sort of uh, like there was in Nepal in 2014, I was going to go canyoning and I bottled it. Um <laughs> because uh, i just i i didn't i didn't trust the guides or the equipment um like i think it was just mainly a communication problem but yeah i don't have any regrets about it was definitely the right decision not to do it but then 2006 no sorry 2017 i was in the philippines and i went canyoning again and they had all these cliff jumps that you could do but you didn't ha- you didn't have to do any of them mm-hmm. and the first one was just two meters and it went all the way up to like 15 and i was like right this is how i can build up my confidence again and so I did it, did the 15 meters. It was all fine. I was like, right, that's it. That's the end of the shoulder story. Got over the mental block, never have to hear about it again. And then three months later, I was skydiving in Australia and the shoulder popped out mm. again while skydiving. So uh, I was just like, oh, for fuck's sake, I was, I was done with this. <laughs> <laughs> um, so yeah, it's just the, it's just the, the shoulder um, is the main one. I had a – I'd broken my rib and ruptured my kidney – uh, when I was 21 on like a lad's holiday, um, which is, uh, I'll save that story for another time. Cause it's a really long story, but it deserves being told properly. Um, yeah. but otherwise, yeah, I, I'm trying to think that what the thing in the New Zealand trip was just, um, my lower back. Uh, I've had, I've had it happen a few times over the years. I th- think, I mean, I now have my desk set up really well. So like I have my computer on a stand and everything's set up for your postures. Right. But, when I, before that New Zealand trip, I was like editing in an office on a laptop, just kind of leaning <laughs> over. And so I started getting a really tight lower back. And then, um, and I, I heard that really bad actually again in October in, in London. Um, again, cause just the place I was freelancing. So now, now when I'm freelancing, I kind of, um, almost have to sort of be a bit of a diva and sort of say, can you get me like a stand for the laptop? <laughs> and then you start telling medical reasons. They start like, Oh, okay, okay, okay. So... <laughs> so yeah um so that's yeah injuries have happened to me and i've been there when other friends have had injuries or gotten ill on trips and stuff and it sucks but um most of the time i do all right
0: i mean they've they've become part of the brand (laughs) yeah we tend to see them it's i mean i'm
1: so like the whole shoulder thing i was like i get so bored of talking about it but it just keeps well it keeps the dislocating and it keeps coming up so it's sort of uh, I know when I sort of mention it in the video I can almost just see the viewers going, Oh, he's mentioned his shoulder again. I was <laughs> like, I know, but it's it's still relevant, you
0: know? Yeah. So no back pain, no back problems on when you are on, on the bikes in Vietnam then?
1: No, that that was absolutely fine actually. Um, the bike I had uh, when we were biking through the Central Highlands um, in this sort of, the second half of the first episode. Um Uh, that was really uncomfortable just because i had all my luggage on the bike because the way i'd planned the trip was uh for the bike trip for the central highlands i originally thought i was going to do it with a guide and they would have transported my main bag for me so i just have my day bag and the same for the Hajiang loop you leave your main bag at the hostel and you do the loop for a few days and come back but because I, i met that guy danny and we decided to ride together i had all my luggage on with all my laptops and Everything. So it basically. Um, so I had like this big bag on the back, and then I had one just sort of balanced between my legs whilst I was driving, <laughs> and the, the bike just had serious suspension because of it. And we we're doing like these country roads, so afterwards, just yeah,
0: everything was sore <laughs> after that. Uh, I remember that those fun. bikes very well. I mean, from personally living in in Vietnam, I think I got a bike after like two days of living there. The first day, I ordered the Grab. Um, and the guy looked at me, he was, he was so unsure that I was actually the passenger cause I was twice his size and weight. And I get onto the, <laughs> I get onto the back of this bike and the whole front just starts lifting up and he just starts laughing and he's like, you, you're going to have to get off. You're too big. <laughs> um, so quickly asking a couple of other, you know, expats who live there, they said, "No, nah, just get your own bike. You'll be fine. Um, yeah. so yeah. first couple of days I, I tended to stay to the left, you know, in sort of on the left hand side of the lane. And within yeah. a week, I would have considered myself a pro. But, I mean, I, I had to know, you know, what, what, is, what, what is it like for someone who has never driven um, in Vietnam before? Would you, would you say it's definitely something they need to experience? Maybe not yeah. in Scotland, but... Um,
1: yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, I think it's definitely a great thing to experience. And we, We've done little bits of stuff on the moped on the HK2Y trip, but just day trips um, mm. in Thailand and Bali. And then it's something I've done like i did in india for like on day trips so it's it's something i've done a lot on day trips before but never done like a multiple day one
0: yeah
1: um uh but it's it's such a cool i mean it's it's the ultimate cliche that a biker would say but it's like a level of freedom you feel
0: yeah um
1: um i mean you sort of i I had a bit of me saying it in the video but i cut it out because it just sounds so pretentious it's like (laughs) dude you're not on a harley Davidson doing route 66 you're on a a moped you know (laughs) um uh but it was great it's just it's just the fact that the, the for that central highlands bit the bike was designed for inner city stuff and i was yeah. going like country gravel roads so it was a bit bit painful but yeah i loved it and we, i'm going to be going back to do the hajiang loop properly which would right. be the original plan was april 2021 but it'll be 2022 now i'll just mm. sort of finish off the loop and we'll probably we're going to organize a tour around it so like yeah. but all like the followers can come along and stuff and that should be sweet
0: so on video, it, it looked like a nice little 125cc, but in your mind, you were, you were Jax from Sons of Anarchy. <laughs>
1: Pretty much, yeah. And what was really cool, uh, something, I don't know why I didn't figure this out right to the very end, but when I was at Quoc at the end of the trip and we went on that cable car to the island, because uh, that was, the cable car was like a good 45-minute or hours drive from our, maybe 45 minutes from our hostel.
0: yeah,
1: And, and we've been... Uh, So I got my speakers, which actually they're right here. These speakers here. But again, that's no use for a podcast. But um, (laughs) uh, JBL Flip uh, speakers, and and I sort of put put them in like the uh, the bit that normally holds your water bottle in the moped, and just played some tunes whilst I was driving back. I was like, why have I not been doing this since? And I just put on like some classic rock, you know, tunes. And again, you know, you're not on a Harley Davidson, you're on an automatic moped. But it was just, it was so cool riding along with like AC/DC blasting out and stuff like that. And and I was no, I mean, driving so side by side, sort of just enjoying it. So that was great.
0: No, it was great to see. I mean, I don't want to spoil it too much for those that haven't seen it. But I mean, the whole reason you're here today is to talk about your series. And I mean, if, if they've not seen it, then, you know, they need to catch up pretty quickly. But <laughs> um, So as in, in saying that, not spoiling it too much. But what, what do you reckon were the highlights of your Vietnam trip? And what do you think were some of your letdowns?
1: Um, highlights? uh, my favorite town was Hoi An. Uh, it's just such a beautiful place and it's, it's one of those places that is super touristy, but it doesn't matter. You just enjoy mm. the vibe and, and there's so much to do around there as well. And it was kind of, kind of a place that I loved that sort of, you know, it's beautiful. It has its own local touch to it, but there's also loads of things to do. All the hostels are great. So there's like, you know, good parties in the evening. So it had, had a bit of everything. Um, and then mm. in terms of natural beauty, like, uh, Tam Kok, this the Nimbin area, which is at the start of episode three, was just... Um, I, mean, I think the line I say in the video is like, you know, I hoped it was going to be good, but it it, it beat those expectations. It was incredible. Um, so yeah. uh, maybe Ha Giang will end up being my favourite when I go and do it properly and the sun will be shining. But for now, those were <laughs> two favourite things. In terms of letdowns, um, the Mekong Delta was complete bag of shit. <laughs> I, I saw that. But it was... Uh, it was funny. I was chatting to uh, I was having a phone conversation with Paddy from the Budgeteers yesterday, mm. having a catch up, and he was like, "When you booked that tour, did it in your head did you ever think that tour was going to be good?" And I was like, "No, I just thought I knew I'd been recommended a good two day one night tour, but I could only fit in one day because like New Year's Eve was coming up and stuff, and so I booked it through the hostel, hoping it'd be like a backpacker trip, and as soon as that bus pulled up. And it wasn't backpackers. I was like, "This day is gonna suck." But then you kind of try and think, try and put a positive spin on it and just enjoy it. But it was just the worst kind of touristy. Just, just cart you all through just to say, "Hey, I've been to Mekong Delta, but not actually
0: experienced." I think you say so. um, it's a bit like a factory, wasn't it? All yeah, it lining was lining up one by one. It was, and it was like uh, when we had the
1: the people playing the music for us, which finished with um, "If you're happy you know it, clap your hands." Saw that. I'd already heard it being played like five minutes beforehand. When they bring out the fruit, I could hear it. And they just finished their set and came over to us, did the exact same set, and they moved to the next group and the next group. And, and it was funny because I had someone commented on YouTube. Someone got really, really offended uh, saying, because I basically, uh, for, for the listeners, I sort of, the voiceover says, oh, we were then treated to some classic traditional Vietnamese music. And it cuts to, if you're happy and you know it, clap your hands. And some woman commented going, you are so arrogant to even think that's a Vietnamese traditional song. It's a European song. Like, don't you know about colonialism and blah, blah, blah. And she went on this huge rant. (laughs) And I didn't bother replying. I just blocked them. I can't be bothered. But I just wanted to go like, it it was a joke.
0: How did you not know that was just sarcasm, you know? Uh, But that's just it. I mean, you tend to get a lot of those on your channels. I mean, the best ones, I mean, the classics, have to be you've you filmed a series three years ago and they still ask you why did you go there during lockdown
1: yeah yeah uh, i mean uh the thing is with like all the comments and stuff like that like 99 percent are super positive um and it's but it's just the way the human brain works i think all the positive ones kind of merge into one and then the the nasty one sticks out and you're like i can't believe this guy said that uh and then with the vietnam series being like Ninety-nine nice comments and then one nasty comment. If you're mm. suddenly getting five times as many comments, you're suddenly getting five nasty comments, um, which is just weird. It's sort of uh, it's you have to sort of train yourself. Like if you're going to look at your comments, it's not going to make you happy. Like even though you get like so, but now I just have a zero tolerance policy. If someone yeah. just says something a bit dickish, just block them straight away. Cause you just you know you don't need that and just focus on focus on the ninety-nine percent that are positive. But it's yeah. just it's weird the way the human brain works. Like, like okay, James, no. yeah. James was like that when the Philippine series came out and he was around at my flat the day it was online and he was looking at the comments and he's like, Oh, can you believe what this prick said? And I was like, mate, you've just <laughs> scrolled through all these people saying best video ever and he found the one
0: guy having a go so, so he was looking for the negativity well, no
1: he was just he was just <laughs> sort of going oh it's sort of he wasn't looking for the negativity he was just sort of wanting to see what the reaction was but then I was like mate the only one you've mentioned is a negative one you've scrolled through and he was like oh yeah that's a good point so <laughs>
0: I've I've got to dial it a little bit back now to to the Japan series which because it's my personal favorite. Uh yeah. you spent I mean you spent one month there with your best mate James. Yeah. Um I I've, I've, I've got to ask, you know, um in the beginning in the, in the first episode what what was going on between you James the wasp the snake and the two Japanese men? So that was just the that was the hostel that we were staying in. Um
1: and uh the hostel was pretty dead no one else was there even though it's supposed to be like the sociable party one we soon found that all the hostels were dead because it was just lower season but the two guys running it were really really nice so we just sat down there and ordered the beer well they had a happy hour as well and we were ordering drinks just chatting and um and a nice one of the nice things well one of the many nice things about japan like they're all super friendly but they're all they all love the camera it's mm-hmm. um you don't have to think twice other countries you sort of you want to get locals on camera on film, but they don't necessarily want to be filmed. Um, excuse me. So these guys, they were just, uh, loving it. And then we were just sitting there and we went, wait, wait, what's that jar back there? And it was, you know, <laughs> they had a sake that was full of snakes and the sake was full of these wasps. And then, and um, we were like, all right, let's try one. <laughs> so it was, uh, it was just such a random thing to be doing on the first night. Um,
0: cause you, was, you had not had sake before that, right? I think, um, I might have tasted it
1: once or twice before, but uh, not enough to sort of know, like, oh, this is what sake is like. And yeah, because uh,
0: I mean, you don't you don't want that to be your first experience of sake, and then <laughs> you think that's how it should be drunk, you know? Yeah, yeah. I mean,
1: we had it a few more times, we had it a lot more times during the trip. Um, yeah. I'm not much of a spirits person normally. I sort of just prefer a good beer. So yeah, even if it's like, if someone gives you a whiskey and you go, Oh, this is a really good one. I'm like, okay, sure. I mean, (laughs) I can usually tell them it's been really good one and a really terrible one, but any kind of medium level, I'm just like, well, I still don't like it. (laughs) Yeah.
0: Um, and tell us, could you please tell us who tiny Carl is? Tiny Carl. (laughs) This was, uh, this was, we're basically, uh,
1: in Japan, they have all the izakayas that are basically like the small little bars that you go to, like bar slash restaurants that fit like, uh, you know, 10 people and sitting around and you just sit and chat and have to locals and have drinks and a chat and a good laugh. And then this one bar had snacks and there were like little bits of, uh, meat. And this guy was sort of trying to say the meat was a tiny cow, but (laughs) the way he was saying it was tiny cow and it sounded like tiny Carl. Okay. And so then we all just started like James and a couple of friends we were with, um, just sort of going, oh yeah, no one wants to uh, put a tiny Carl in their mouth, and you know, and all that kind of. Uh, so, but I think, I, f- I think, um, I'm just remembering it now because we were pretty drunk by that point. When I first heard him saying "tiny cow I thought he was saying, "I'd I missed" because they were around the other side of the the table, opposite, me. yeah. So I'd missed the start of the conversation. So I. I I i first thought he was just saying tiny Carl. I was like, "What are you <laughs> on about?" And then
0: I later on I figured it out. But I just kept the the funny bit in the video. So. so so he was saying tiny cow. Was he trying to insinuate that it was beef?
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think or that's veal, what, right? That would yeah, be essentially yeah. yeah. I think I think he was trying to. Even though I thought it was like a sausage actually, <laughs> <but>, uh, <laughs> thought I thought it was pork. But he was yeah. I think he was trying to. That's it. He's trying to say it was beef. Um, but it just, okay. yeah, lost in translation. <laughs> just
0: sounded like, you know, I don't want a tiny Carl. <laughs> I could just imagine that being said in one of the best steak restaurants in the world. And, I mean, the only way that you would communicate would say to the waiter, I mean, what's your finest tiny Carl? <laughs> <laughs> I could just... No, <laughs> yeah. you're, like, you're sitting right there. <laughs> <laughs> i tell you, um, one of the best meals
1: I've ever had traveling was... Uh, it was such a simple one, but it was at the end of the Japan series when we we're in Hakone by Mount Fuji. And we sort of done the cable car loop around and it had been mm. a bit cloudy and we'd had some beers along the way. Then we got back into the town and we needed a toilet. So we saw this bar. There wasn't many places open, but there's a bar. It's a Japanese beer and barbecue. I'm like, oh, well, will go in for a beer and, you know, use a toilet. And then yeah. so one of those places that has like the barbecue on the table. Mm-hmm. And we're like, oh, should we, we may as we'll get a little bit of food whilst we're here? And it's one of the ones that you know they prepare it for you, but then you actually cook it yourself. Yeah. And the meat was so good. We ended up, you know, spending so much money and just like ordering more and more and more and more and more drinks. It was just, it was the best. <laughs> it wasn't Kobe beef, perhaps was it? I don't, I, I, I don't think it was because, because um, that can be quite. They would, they would have advertised that. that they would have advertised it. I think and sort of said, you know, you know, because that's they're like, look, we've got Kobe beef, but it was just. It's
0: still really, really good. We had beef, chicken, and just a bit of everything. Um, and you guys were very fond of the old katsu curry, weren't you?
1: Yeah, yeah. I mean, I love a good katsu curry, but it's it, it was weird because our meal times just got out of because we we're having so much fun in the evenings there. So we we're having like these late evenings, and then with the jet lag, so we were kind of waking up late-ish morning, and then heading out early afternoon to explore and then mm. you know if we've missed breakfast and then we missed the lunch a lot of places like we only open for lunch and then then the evening and so we were getting hungry at like three in the afternoon a lot of the time <laughs> and your choices were like you know a mcdonald's or something or this um it's a cocoa curry that's what it's called yeah. it's a, a curry chain place and so we just kept going in there and it's and it's fantastic it was like delicious so um we weren't complaining
0: no, I saw that, and then James was trying to eat it with his, with his chopsticks. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah I've, I've, I
1: need to watch that Japan one again. I haven't seen it uh, in a little
0: bit. No, I'm no, telling you, it's, it's, uh, it's easily one of, one of the best. Um, right, so yeah. you get to Japan, and you guys get yourself one of these uh, Japan rail passes. Um, yeah. You do mention it in the series um, a couple of times, but for those that haven't seen the series or um, don't know what a rail pass is, could you tell us a bit more about it? Yeah, so Japan Rail Pass.
1: You can get one that lasts um, one week, two week, or three weeks. And I mean, it's not, it's, it's not. They're not cheap. Um, and it depa- if if you're going to Japan just for a few days, and you're just going to go to Tokyo and then pop pop to Mount Fuji, you're probably better off just buying the individual train ticket. But if you're traveling around like we were, it can be a lot more economical. I mean, it's still, it still I think it was nearly three hundred pounds for the three weeks, but. Yeah. And then you just go to a train station, go up to the ticket booth with your pass and tell them where you're going. And then they just give you the ticket. You don't pay anything extra. And, you know, sometimes the worst part of traveling is the actual traveling. It's the, hmm. uh, I mean, Southeast Asia is a good example. It's like, oh, I'm going to have to get out on this bus that's supposed to take six hours. Is it going to take 12? And yeah. the roads will be terrible. Whilst in Japan, you know, everything runs on time the The bullet trains are so spacious and comfy and, and quiet and so and it's like any travel day it was just more like those were those were our chill days you know mm. uh, it's like oh it's a travel day sweet oh, I'll just sit down watch a movie and you know I'll back up my footage mm. and then then you'd sort of within two hours you're the other side of the country because they go so fast so um, now
0: did that pass include the ferries as well or just just the trains
1: some of them some of them, so some some of the metros are included, but not all. And some of the, the ferries are, um, like they, they give you a map when you get the pass, but okay, like yeah. everything that's included kind of thing. Um, but it does include a lot of the stuff. Um, and it makes your life really simple when you're there. So, um, yeah, de- okay. it's definitely worth getting. If you're going to travel around Japan and sort of see lots of places that we did, it's definitely the best way to do it.
0: Cool. Um, now comes to the part of the, the podcast where I ask you, um, either or, so, for example, okay. the the first question would be, which half of the trip did you enjoy more and why? So, Tokyo to Osaka or Osaka to Mount Fuji? Uh,
1: oof, good question. Um, maybe, I think maybe the second half, just because the first half is amazing. It's sort of you're getting used to it and it blows your mind. But then by the second half, we'd sort of figured out, all right, this is how it works here. and We just mm. enjoyed every second, like... Osaka, we just had so much fun just going out to all these little random restaurants and bars and just, you know, at first you might be like, oh, should we go in it? And we're like, screw it, let's just go in. And then yeah. you make lots of friends. And, you know, we got free tickets to Universal Studios and stuff. And, um, and I love sort of the, some of the scenery of, like, well, Mount Fuji. And, um, and when we're at Hiroshima, we went and did that bike, that day of cycling and stuff. Yeah. Um, so I think, uh, I mean, it's close, but probably the second half, just slightly more
0: no i would agree i mean you mentioned the bike trip uh, did you ever manage to to become a pro on the unicycle <laughs> no <laughs> so this guy at this bicycle rental place
1: this was in kyoto had this unicycle and uh it's so hard it's it's you know, it's quite shocking how hard because you look at it and think and oh, i you know i know how to ride a bike so but man it was really really hard Really, keep peddling, really keep peddling, keep peddling. Yeah, I, like, I I know. I
0: get the gist, mate. I know. <laughs> I know
1: the technique, but it's just not working. So.
0: It's not working. Um, okay, so next one: uh, Nintendo Mario Kart, Virtual Mario Kart, or the real-life Mario Car?
1: Um, yeah, be careful with the branding. there have a copyright reasons. <laughs> uh, the real-life Mario Kart does win. It's just insane. It's uh, it's one of those sort of pinch yourself moments, which I know is a cliche thing to say, but you just you. I'd have moments where I just sort of – you're sort at of the traffic lights, and i look at James, who's dressed as Luigi, and he looks at me dressed as Mario. I was like, <laughs> we're in Tokyo driving around in a cart doing Mario Kart. This is the most – and all the all the locals love it. Like, they are all taking photos of you like you're celebrities. Yeah, yeah. And, um, but the virtual Mario Kart was pretty awesome as well. Like, uh, you're on this sort of car thing that does move about, and so when you go off a jump, you kind of feel it. And Yeah. That was a hell of a lot of fun but yeah the real life one wins
0: and i I think if you think about it the real life mario car it's it's almost as if you were in the game with all those lights and colors and
1: yeah 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 yeah. around you yeah and uh yeah when you go around the akihabara area of town where it's all like the the screens and everything going on um you know we didn't have any bananas to throw at anyone or anything but it was and we the traffic was quite busy when we did it because i had I had the idea of like, well, let's do it early evening so we could start in daytime, get the sunset, then get night. So we get a bit mm-hmm. of everything. But it meant we were kind of doing it in rush hour. So it was a bit stop-starty at times. So it probably would have been better just to have done it at night so we could have whizzed around more. Yeah. But we occasionally had some bits where the traffic was
0: clear and you'd put your foot down. And those, those carts can go. And then we did see a couple of drag races. Yeah, there was
1: a bit where James and I were at the back of the group, and we sort of got caught by the lights. So the group were on the next set of lights, so we're at the front, and we're like there revving our engines, and, you know.
0: Now, do they? I mean, I saw you catching up to them, but do they actually have to wait for the rest of the group when?
1: Yeah, yeah. I mean, as a as a leader, it uh, was. Um, I think it was a Dutch guy actually, or something. But uh, they always said, "Oh, you don't worry if you miss the lights; we'll wait for the next one." Kind of thing. Oh, nice. Okay. So it's
0: it's all run really well. They have all hand yeah. signals and stuff like that. Of, no, that's good doing? it looks oh. it looks fun um right so tokyo isakaya or osaka isakaya uh
1: osaka because um, okay. tokyo tokyo ones were good but um uh they are more touristy and you know anytime i say something's touristy people always go well you're a tourist it's like i know um but the thing is the ones the ones in tokyo are, are so much fun because you get a mixture of locals and travelers. And so you got a variety of people to chat to, but the ones in Osaka, they were like, what are you, what are you doing in here? But not in an aggressive way, just yeah. like, they were like, and they'd want to come and practice their English with us.
0: Uh, so it was just a different kind of experience. And they tend to uh, want to invite you back to their place quite quickly. Yeah. Invite you back. <laughs> like
1: James was having that. So we, uh
0: the one poking the, his dimples nonstop. Yeah.
1: Yeah. I mean, I think she was, <laughs> Uh, because we thought they were related but i think that was uh, she was the boss of the younger one okay the boss was pretty hammered (laughs) and um couldn't really speak much english and so they were just they were fascinated by us uh and we had that one guy with the tattoos over there and um uh, other people just come up and chat to us and uh it was one guy's birthday so we bought him some drinks and it just sort of he couldn't believe the generosity of us buying like a one drink for him and and then the guys who worked at Universal Studios, yeah, we walked in this bar and they said, "Oh, they asked us to come and join them." Mm. And so we we're just chatting away, and then, uh, um, and they were like, I "And mean, they started talking about Universal Studios." And I was like, "Oh yeah, you've got the Harry Potter world there. Like, I, I'd love to see that, but it's you know I'm not going to spend my money on it because it's not what I come to Japan to do." They yeah. went, "Oh no no no, we can give you here's two tickets. Go." <laughs> and I'm like, I'm it wasn't like a backhanded question of me trying to fish yeah. it out of them. It was just um so we're like well if it's free we'll definitely go
0: and it ends up being a great uh part of the video as well because it's not like you you mentioned it at universal you're like look this might look a bit weird because you know travel 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 yeah you know Hogwarts. Universal. <laughs> um, it was, yeah, that, yeah. Was, that was so much fun to edit as well because you got all the
1: random funny moments and it's just putting you and then in, in the order because that was over that footage was across like three different nights in the and i you know, just put it in a sequence to get it so it just got funnier and funnier and funnier. Yeah. And then suddenly it's like, right, and now Universal. And it's like, what the hell?
0: <laughs> it was. It was the icing on the cake. And I mean, not you could see it throughout the whole series that the the Japanese are incredibly kind and giving. Um, the guy that you arm wrestled, you bought your drinks. Um, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, what else? The Universal tickets that you got. So, I mean, it's it's safe to say that they are some of the, the kindest people that you've ever encountered on, on your travels.
1: 100%. They're so friendly. Even if you just go into a Seven Eleven and buy a kind of Coke, they they're sort of bowing and smiling and you feel like you've made your day. And because they're so happy, it makes you feel happy in it. And it feels genuine. It's not like a sort of American, like, Hey, how are you? Just sort of robotic. It feels genuine. Yeah. Um, and so, yeah, I was, I was like, Properly gutted when I was, had to fly home from Japan. Like normally, I don't get sad at the end of a trip. It's like, well, there's nothing you do about it. Just go home and start saving for the next one. But yeah.
0: Japan, I had like proper sort of violins playing in my head <laughs> at the end. It's like I don't want to go. I mean, they kind of were. I mean, you were just randomly walking in the street, and the whole town would just be playing music.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. There was a marching band in Osaka, and all these different things. And um, the funny thing with the Universal Night when we got given the Universal tickets, that was we'd had a huge night out the night before we were out to like five or six and then James was just sleeping all day. And then in the afternoon, I just went around town and just filmed some random bits and pieces. Mm-hmm. And then, and then about five or six o'clock, I got back to the hostel and like the, the dorms there, you have like your own private curtains, almost like cabins. So I just text James saying, Oh, I don't know if you're up, but I'm going to go get some food in half an hour. Mm-hmm. And he went, yep. Yeah. I'll come with. And then, The idea was we're just going to get some food and have an early night, but then we had one drink, and it just, (laughs) it's one of us weren't planning on going out and ended up turning into this crazy thing, which ended up with free tickets to
0: Universal Studios. (laughs) But that's the beauty of travel, which you so, you know, you put it in the series so well, you know, you you say that, you know, the backpacking scene was super dead the time you guys went, but you end up just meeting the locals and and having fun with them. Yeah. And it it would have been a.
1: it would have been a very hard trip to do solo. Um, just sort of, I mean, I could, it might be easier doing it. solo now that I've been to Japan once before and know how it works, but, um, if I was there solo for the first time, I might have not have known that you could mm-hmm. just go into these cause you by yourself. i got oh, I'm not going to go sit in there by myself and in such a small place as well. Um, whilst having, you know, a friend there, you could just, uh, enjoy, experience it together. And, um, Uh, because we met like a couple of solo travelers we met there and they sort of found it they said they've been finding it really lonely and stuff um because there was no scene at that time of year um uh so i mean it might be fine to solo travel it when it's like peak time because there was every town had tons of hostels there's got to be the business for it it's just we were the wrong season
0: but that's what i mean you although it was absolutely dead you don't try and make that um the main topic of the, the yeah. sex segment that you're trying to film, you know, you say, look, it's not discouraging people from coming to Japan at th- that time of year. Yeah. Even if you yeah. are a solo traveler, because there's always going to be some local or some locals who, who want to hang out and, and buy yeah. your drinks and stuff. Um, For sure. so one last question on Japan before we move on to the last part, the last 10 minutes or so. Um, did you ever find out who those, fa- were those people famous? You know, the two, Oh, um, they were, I think,
1: uh, so there's basically, there's two parts of the video where I said, oh, is this a famous person? Leave leave it in the comments if you know. So the guy in Osaka, I think was the mayor of Osaka. Oh, wow. Um, he was walking around. There was this big marching band walking down the street and then... What the fuck? So, so I was filming it and then he sort of saw me filming and he just smiled and waved like he was smiling and waving at everyone. So yeah. he was the mayor. But there was this couple getting married. Um, someone mentioned it but it wasn't... Uh, uh, it uh not I think someone also said like sometimes one of the things they do in Japan to make the day feel more special that they pay photographers to act like paparazzi around them. So I don't know if that was what that was. I'm trying to remember where I heard that, but it, it wasn't whatever the, someone explained who this famous person was and I can't remember the answer. So it obviously wasn't that remarkable or stood out, but I I remember someone mentioning to to me about how you can actually hire these photographers to, Go crazy around you and make you feel important. Whether what, that's what that was. Was? It, or was it on your mind?
0: Did you and James ever? No, we are getting <laughs> it anyway, just because you're <laughs>
1: the foreigners. People want to
0: take pictures and stuff. I know. It must have been remarkable for them to see this guy next to Tom Cruise all the time, thinking, who's, <laughs> who's this James guy? <laughs> I couldn't believe
1: the, uh, all the Tom Cruise comments, because uh, my old flatmate, Chris, who's one of my best friends uh, with Joe all the time. Because I love Tom Cruise movies. Yeah. Um, so Chris always jokes that I'm obsessed with Tom Cruise. So when that woman said, "Oh, you look like Tom Cruise," like in a video, you'll see me going, "Hi, Chris!" <laughs> you know? Yes, yeah. so I knew he'd say that. And then it happened again and again. It was just like, like I don't think I look like him. I mean, I'm a white guy with brown hair, but you know, <laughs> that's about it, really.
0: And I think actually the second time is also mentioned on camera as well that she was on about how uh, her eyes were brown and your eyes were green, blue. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then, you know, but your face is so small, but your nose is so big. Tom Cruise.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. And she's was saying to James, she was talking about James's nose, and then she translated it. And Google Translate it had, your nose is enviable.
0: <laughs> <laughs> she was jealous of your nose. <laughs> okay, um... Yeah, like I said, for those who haven't, haven't seen it yet, I highly recommend it. It's, I mean, I recommend all your videos, but you, Cheers, right at the beginning of the podcast, I do say that you can just see the development of your work, and it's, it's incredibly inspiring, even for those of us who don't have a YouTube channel, to want to make a channel, to want to be involved, because you really do engage, and it's as if you know the person watching is right there with you.
1: Yeah, so, that's, always, that's always the idea. I just want people to feel like they're on the trip with us. Cause that's, that's, you know, I always say I was inspired by like the long way round and long way down series with Ewan McGregor. And you felt like you're on the trip with him or, but it's also like, you know, a good sort of documentaries, like making of movies and stuff like the really good ones. You feel like you're part of the crew. And, hmm. and so, uh, that was always the idea. That's one of the reasons, for example, I don't, you know, I could make more money from YouTube by having adverts pop up every five minutes. Um, but then it would just break, you know, it'd break the spell kind of thing. It, yeah. uh, uh, I'd rather, rather, you know, make slightly less money from it. Um, don't make much money from it anyway. And just let people actually, you know, forget they're in front of their TV or forget they're watching it on a phone or whatever, and
0: feel like they're in Japan for yeah. an hour, you know? Oh, okay. Um, so what can we expect from you for the rest of the year then?
1: Uh, that's the good, that's the big question. Um, we're hoping to do a trip in January. Uh, a, probably a tour. Um, where's the big... We're, we're thinking of maybe doing one in Thailand just because even though we've got ideas for trips and tours all over the world, um, you want to go somewhere that's got good infrastructure. Because if we, if we go somewhere that's really, really remote, yes, you'll be away from people. But if one of us brings the virus there, then there won't be the infrastructure to look after you. But also you if you infect the people there, then they won't be able to look after themselves. So, so that's why we're not going somewhere really remote for January. Uh, so Thailand kind of makes sense. Um, it just depends where it's open. They're starting to sort of talk about air bridges between UK and certain countries yeah. like Croatia and Greece. So you never know, like late September, October, we might just suddenly put on like a, just an iron hopping boat tour, just something simple. Let's just go have fun, yeah. you know, and just like, who wants to go in one month's time? Um, uh, so we'll see. And I mean, I love to do some stuff around the UK, but it's just, um, it's just about money. I just need more money to come in before I start. I, I can't justify, uh, going off like for a week or two road trip around the UK when I haven't yeah. been earning that much money in the last few months. Yeah. But in terms of the channel, um, there's lots of little projects I'm working on for the, the channel. Like, uh, I'm going to do like an HK to NY retrospective video, looking back at that. Um, nice. I'm creating, from a website I'm creating like budgets and itineraries for all my old trips, which will have like affiliate links where people can book all the hostels, activities, and stuff. Because I get asked those questions all the time, like, Yeah, how much was this? Where was that? And then, also, in terms of just like a documentary of a trip, there's this road trip I did around Ireland in 2014, mm-hmm. which I never got round to editing because this was between this was after the HK2NY trip, but before the Quest for Everest series. And basically, whilst I was on this island trip, I was still busy editing all of HK2NY. By the time I'd finished HK2NY, I'd also done the Everest trip. So I just went straight from editing HK2NY to to Everest. I was like, oh, I want to do that one next. And then the island trip got forgotten about. So that'll come out sometime in the next two, three months, I guess. I had a quick look at the footage the other day, and there is a video there, but it will be very, you know, I'll explain at the start, like this is an old film and, you know, it's, a bit rough and raw and stuff, but there's some there's some fun stuff in there and it's um uh, so I think, you know, it's worth putting online. Like it'll take a bit of yeah. work um smoothing off the edges. Um and you know, and I could obviously film a way better film than I now, knowing what I do, like being more experienced with it now and stuff. But I think it'll be I think it'll be a good laugh.
0: No, we look forward to it.
1: Yeah. I'm looking okay. forward to just seeing what the hell it's like. <laughs> <laughs>
0: Well, I mean, it would be good to, be, to, to revisit that time of, um, of your travel days. Again, you know, um, for a lot of those people yeah. who are just uh, starting to view your channel, um, they don't necessarily always go back to the very beginning, you know, and they might go halfway through or something like that. It would be good to have yeah. something from the past um, shine a bit of light again. So look forward to yeah. seeing that one for sure.
1: Yeah, um, I'm, d- I'm posting an update video either at the end of this week or next week, just depends how the week goes, but just sort of just say, cause like a uh, thanks for the hundred K subscribers and then just talk about all the stuff that's coming up. And then I'll just, sort of, cause it's in the last month, it's been like nearly 10,000 new subscribers. So I'm going to say, well, if you're looking for, if you want to go look at the old stuff, there is a playlist called the ultimate binge playlist. It's got mm-hmm. all the films in chronological order. And I'll probably say, suggest to them, you know, start with HK 10 Y and work your way forward. Yeah, and then if you're really keen go back and check some of the ones at the start of the playlist because it's, it's kind of like when you're introducing someone to an older band you've got either go we'll yeah. start this album go forward and then if you like that check out the earlier stuff the demos <laughs>
0: well it's a pretty clever way to think of it, um, yeah. it that way so I think we're at the end of our chat uh, sure thank man. you so much for joining me I know it's um, it's it's a pleasure really it's it's been a while that I've wanted to get you on and I've been t- spending some time to put it all together but I really, really appreciate it. Thank you so much.
1: No worries, mate. It's been good fun. Really good fun.
0: All right. Thank you very much, Carl. Cheers. Cheers.